I want to tell you I'm a word guy. I like uh, sometimes when I'm around a table, maybe Debbie and I, or when, when we had our three kids around the table, oftentimes we would lead with a question. So what's your best part and worst part of today or uh, our camping trip or something that we did? And it's fun to kind of draw people out and it might be a, an interesting idea for you to try in, in your home or around your table or somehow with people. But it's um, best part and worst part. It's actually my title today, best and worst moments. And um, it's really kind of a cool technique that can help you summarize anything. Teachers do it a lot in the fall when they come back from summer break or sometimes at Christmas or other times during the year, spring break, <clears throat> they would ask their kids, hey, what's best part and worst part or highlights or low points in your whatever, vacation or time away? Um, so I gave, I, I thought some examples. Take a camping trip. My favorite part, best part, making a fire. I'm out there chopping wood and you know, and my goal is one match, one match, and I'm good. But Debbie brings a gallon of gasoline to help out. No, she doesn't. She has these fire starters, which guarantee that I'm good. But so that's my best part. That's my best part. Worst part, rain. Especially really worst part that puts out the fire. That's not good, okay? Um, marriage. Uh, our wedding. Best part? She said, I do. Worst part, not kidding you, the cameraman's camera broke, and he didn't know it. So we continue in a litigated lawsuit about, uh, <laughs> no, that was the worst part, but we have so much in our hearts for each other that we've gotten over it. Um, family, family. Uh, Best part, for sure, having three kids that joined and widened the circle to Mac 5. Worst part, they grew up too soon. They did. And I was warned about that. I was warned, don't ever miss a day because they'll be gone. And um, so I guilt trip them all the time, get home, you know. But anyway, you can use this little tool, by the way, um, on just about anything, including pets, all right? So for you uh, dog lovers, how many dog lovers here? Best part, best part, it's actually a tie for me. Unconditional love. We'd all agree, right? Lord, help me to be the kind of person my dog thinks I am, right? Unconditional love. Worst part, right? Uh, or no, another best part. I really don't have a worst part. Uh, the other best part, they keep cats out of my yard. <laughs> it's true, it's true. So how many of you are cat fans? We got to be fair here. Okay, fair and balanced. That's what we're about. So uh, cats, best part? <laughs> You're reading into my paws, aren't you? You are. That's not what I meant. Best part? They eat mice, right? Worst part? They get full. How many of you have had a barn cat and you're, you come around and you're like, there's, how come there's mice everywhere? And the cat's over there going, <laughs> you know, they're full. So, um, so okay, enough fun. But we, um, we come um, nearing the finish of a 52-week study in the Bible book known as Acts, Acts of the Apostles. 
We've called it Acts of the Holy Spirit for good and reverent reasons. The Holy Spirit's on every page of Acts. And um, we've called this series In Step with the Spirit. And it's not only looking back over 2,000 years to the narrative that these words point to, but there's all sorts of takeaways and applications or transfers to how can we live according to that today. So here's what I did this week. And I want you to, uh, those of you that have been around can trust me when I say this. I had an imaginary conversation um, with a main character that we've spent time sort of traveling around with in these 20, now 28 chapters. He's, there's, there's many to choose from, but I picked the one that is present from the end of chapter 7 all the way through to chapter 28. And I'm referring to the Apostle Paul. And I decided I was going to have an imaginary conversation with him, and I did. And I took this idea, best part, worst part, because I thought, maybe that'll help me get into his skin a little more. Um, I, and, and it was a fascinating experience for me. And I, um, I, when, I, when I said, hey, okay, Paul, you got a few minutes, I'll, I'll give you coffee or tea, let's just talk. And in the conversation, I think, it, at the very least, um, I enjoyed the experience of imagining having coffee with him and having him highlight the thing that he just was, I often say it, pinch me, I can't believe I'm living this dream. Uh, that would be a high point, best part. And then I, I thought, you know, we've read too much where we went, you're kidding me. Would I, how would I survive that? And uh, so I wanted him to maybe hint at a worse part from his perspective. So he said, this is, he said it softly, please don't, I'm not channeling, I don't do weird things, okay? All right, just so you're clear. Um, best part, Acts chapter 26. Turn there, would you just turn there right now? We're not going to read the whole thing, we've gone deeply in that already. But Acts 26 is two chapters from the end, 27 and 28. Acts 26, and um, this 26 comes, you can't get the effect. I went, 26, what's up with that? Well, look at the last verse of 25, and, uh, or rather 24, and you'll read these words. When two years had passed, Felix, who was the governor, was succeeded by Festus, the, the, the successor governor. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So Paul here is after a two-year delay. I did the math earlier, and it's still true. 730 stinking days behind bars for something he didn't do. You start to see, wow, that is a long time. And, um, and so I, I, at this time, King Agrippa had come to the town. It's a, it's a town on the, the western shore of Israel, modern-day Israel today, Caesarea. 
it, it, there's no more land there. It's the Mediterranean, and it goes all the way to Rome. I mean, it's a long ways off. And uh, so this, this king comes to Caesarea to celebrate the new governor, this governor Festus. And um, while there, he was told about this prisoner that's been rotting in jail. And he says, you know, Felix, the previous governor, didn't do anything, Festus reports. And uh, I'm going to do something here. And um, so without censorship, Paul was permitted uh, in this finally to arrive event, chapter 26, he was permitted to share the gospel. What is the story? Why, if I can say, are you in jail for so long? If I asked anybody, any of you that have been in prison or in jail, well, wow, you had a five-year sentence, a two-year sentence, or whatever, uh, I, I've learned not to ask that. That's uncomfortable for people, but very often people will volunteer it. Paul would have said, well, it's because I saw Jesus and couldn't stop talking about him. I don't care who you are. That's got to be weird. That's got to sound strange. You, wait, you saw Jesus, and you can't stop. Yeah, I can't stop talking about him. And I'm not going to rescind it. I'm not going to say, no, okay, I, I was just kidding. I had never seen Jesus. So some people might say, well, you're certifiable. That's for sure if you keep talking about this imaginary person. But most people are going to go, what's the harm in that? Uh, kids say they see the Easter bunny. Don't go to jail for that. Get my point? So Paul says, without censorship, um, I, um, I met Jesus. And I want to read just a couple of verses that are read with, they're spoken with such an animation, they're worth reading again. So he's in the middle of answering the question, what are you doing here for two years in prison? On one of these Journeys, Paul, verse 12. I'm just breaking into his explanation. I was going to Damascus, which is north and east of Jerusalem, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. So headquarters said, go there and track down these Christians. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on that road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul! Saul, why do you persecute me? That's a voice. He's not seeing anybody. It's hard. It's hard. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You're beating your head against the wall. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, came the answer. I'm reading now at the end of verse 15. The one you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet, Jesus continued. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Remember, he's in jail. Why? Because I saw Jesus. Oh, there's more ahead. You're going to see me again. Verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul then grabs the mic back and says, So I tell you, King Agrippa, I was not obedient to that vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, because that's where he was going. He was almost there. Then to those in Jerusalem, I went back. And then into all of Judea. And then to not just Jews, but to the Gentiles. I preached. Look how verse 20 ends. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their <coughs> deed. Don't miss the heart of the gospel. It was the core of his message, Paul's message. Not only here, but everywhere he went. And here's the deal. It was the message not just for Jews, because Paul is a Jew through and through. But unthinkably, it was the message for those Jews and Gentiles, all the others. And I'm not going to guess at your heritage or lineage or pedigree, but I am a Gentile. And I'm really glad God sent somebody like Paul. <laughs> you, you may be a Jew, and you should be glad too. But you get the idea. Isn't that true? So don't miss the heart of the gospel. Verse 20 is worth looking at just how it ends. How it ends. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. It's the same message in 2021, regardless of who you are. Check this out. Repent of your sins is, is a statement that's made in lots of places. Okay, 1 John chapter 1 is coming up on the screen just so you have it fresh in your minds. Um, or 2 Peter 3, right? Yeah, the Lord is not slow. This is really cool. Peter was another one early in Acts. First nine chapters, he's a dominant figure. Peter was the one that went on to be quite a pastor, actually. Quite an apostle. And he wrote two letters. The second of those two letters, in the third chapter, he says about those that say, you Christians keep getting riled up about Jesus coming back again. I mean, that's like a big deal to you, isn't it? And they mock us for that. Peter says this, God is not slow, as some count slowness, understand slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. That's where Paul started his explanation. I preach that they should repent. Secondly, that they should turn to God. Why turn to God? Because he's the only forgiver of sin. Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter uh, 3 says that. Mark chapter 2 says, who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. Some of you know the name King David. Most of us do, I suppose. And we know that he messed up big. And in one of his confessional passages in the Bible, it's a psalm, Psalm 51. He says it. Against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. It's true, sometimes our sins affect other people, and we really do sin against others. But they have a core element 
a consistency that says, I really sinned against God because I would have never hurt you and sinned against you had I not also sinned against God. Who is the one that can forgive sin? Mark tells us these are words from John the Baptist. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And then thirdly, Paul says here in Acts 26, verse 20, prove that you have changed by the good deeds you do. That's a key thing. Produce fruit consistent with or in keeping with your repentance. Um, Fruit of repentance is not optional. Will you hear me now? Some people have a story, a fresh story, like Jeff told today when he was being baptized. Uh, some of you, that's a very new story. And you're, you're, you, you met Jesus. You, you actually repented of your sin, and you actually turned to God. And, and now the Bible's saying to you, you need to prove that a change has really happened inside you. We say today, talk is cheap, Right? So what better way to convince, to persuade people that you're legit than to say, you know, I'm a different man today. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is simple. I met Jesus. Don't, don't buy what I said, okay? You don't have to go there. Just watch my life. Paul would say to the Philippian Christians, Philippians 2 verse 15, prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God Above reproach, that means as people look at you from every angle, there's not a, there's not a flaw. There's, you're not perfect. It just means you're an authentic follower of Jesus. Without reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, listen to this, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Prove yourself. Good fruit. I said this in baptism a minute ago. It bears repeating. Good fruit does not save you. It shows that you are saved. See the difference? Please understand this. If you ask me, Steve, what's the biggest uh, sort of hurdle people get, uh, have when it comes to the gospel that you've heard from? I hear this all the time. Well, I'm, good. I'm, not, I'm not perfect. That's why I would always start. I'm not perfect. I'm not looking at perfect. But... But they start out with, I'm not as bad as that guy. And then, and then, <laughs> they, then they add, um, but, but I'm, um, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm good enough. And the truth is, you're not good enough. You, you need help. Otherwise, how do you explain the cross? Was that for people that just what, were really bad and couldn't muster up enough good? No. It's, it's for everyone. So listen to this. Telling, telling our story of salvation is really important, and a transformed life provides proof. Wow. Try something on me. If I tell you right now that that I am saved, that Jesus saved me, and my and 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 I go into detail. But you know me; you're my neighbor. 
or you're that person I drive by, or you know something, you just, you know my life, you watch me. So I say, Jesus saved me, and, and, and yet you notice something in me that not really changed at all. Uh, how impactful is my story? You're not expecting what I'm going to say. Ready for a surprise? My story is hugely impactful, but for all the wrong reasons. That's a big deal. Brennan Manning is a writer that uh, gets my attention a lot. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Really good. Good read. Radical grace. How God takes imperfect people who've never had an option. They're all imperfect, right? So he takes us and he transforms us. But he was struggling. Brennan Manning struggled with this very thing. You say you met Jesus and really? How's it showing? Where's prove it? Prove it by your good deeds. It's missing. And he made this, I think it's blunt, I'll warn you, but this is part of the conflict. The greatest single cause, he says, of atheism in the world today is Christians who, are, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, which what we do every Sunday, and then they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. For good reason. When I say Jesus, I met Jesus, and it didn't make a difference. I don't have any interest in that Jesus, the world could justifiably say. I, I don't say that as a, a rebuke of good and godly people. I say that as a plea to keep on following Jesus with his full purpose. To keep on reading the Sermon on the Mount and realizing it's ridiculously extreme. I can't do that. You're on your way. I need help. You're really getting close. God, help me. Come live inside me. Ah, now, bullseye, ding, ding, ding. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll do it through you. See why I labeled chapter 26 the best part? I just, I just, Paul got to tell a packed house. This is a giant gathering here in 26. And everybody listened while he talked. Um, I want to read to you just a quick clip of um, Paul knew he was going to heaven soon. So he... Uh, he picked a couple of guys that he knew he could trust with the gospel, and he, they were calling pastors in training. He was about to wrap up his work as an apostle, and in his case, go home to be with Jesus. And he knew he wanted to transfer that to his successor or successors. And the two that stand out the most are Timothy, and he wrote him two letters, and Titus, he wrote him one letter. There's some similarities you'll see. They're very cool to read. They're actually often called the, the pastoral epistles because Paul, this guy we're so amazed by, 
what God did in his life. Paul trained them knowing that he would be leaving exit right. And so he says to Titus this in chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared, Titus, that offers salvation. I love this. I have to read it slow to all people. Hopefully right now you include yourself in that statement. Grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to some things. Ungodliness and worldly passions. The Steve before he met Jesus. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And what is that? He goes on. The appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all, all wickedness. That means he does a cleanup job from stem to stern. Inside and out, all wickedness, and he, and he's not done. He, he, his purpose is to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Look how it finishes. Eager to provide proof. Eager to do what it says I've been chosen to do good. That's why. Great chapter, but we're not done. Next comes his wisdom. He says, Wow, that's a lot. Thought, thought we covered it all, but I felt like I was reading 26 all over again. Not because there's so much complicated information, because it's basic. We need to repent. We need to turn to God. Repent means I I suck, I did bad. I what I've done is not good. We, we, me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all agree it wasn't good. So I'm repenting. And I turn to the only one that can help me, the one that can forgive me. And he does. And when he does, I'm like, burden lifted, dirt scrubbed clean. Now live that. almost not ready to go on anymore. Next is Paul's low point. You don't have to turn very far, just the page to chapter 27, because I think he would say, my worst part was 27, chapter 27. After all this weight and this glorious, I can't even go to sleep at night, I'm so pumped that I get to tell everybody about Jesus. And then chapter 27. Probably my imagination says he was thinking that that's the biggest hurdle. Finally, two and a half years of waiting, it's removed. And they're smooth sailing from, they're, remember, they're in Caesarea, whew, all the way west to Rome. Wow, that time has come. And I'm quite certain Paul could not have imagined the two-week trial that lay before him and those he was traveling with. They sailed headlong into a hurricane of massive proportions, a literal hurricane. It was one that had all the harrowing stuff 
that people stuck at sea experience. Words like dire, words like uh, desperate, those come up in the reading of chapter 27. It's truly like, pick the biggest hurricane. I think of Hurricane Mitch that went, I think the only one in history that went from the west coast of Honduras, clear through and kept going into the um, Gulf of Mexico on the east coast of Honduras. And if you're, if you were humbled enough to be there in the aftermath, and I was about with a team from our church missions team, it was beyond horrific, the damage and destruction of that area. Uh, all of that was here. And, and in addition, two verses kind of summarize it. Verse 10 is Paul's words while they're holding on to the rails of this ship. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and, in fact, our own lives. He's not done one more verse down at verse 20. It gets darker. Neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, Luke tells us, and the storm continued, keyword there, raging. It's not an easy word, like raging angry. And he finally said, oh, we'll get through this. Where's your faith? How does verse, how does verse 20 end? We all gave up hope of being saved. That's what I mean by dire. Um, I, I probably didn't go deep enough into this, but let me just quickly make the point. Chapter 27 ends, ends, of course, in verse 44, in a shipwreck. The part I didn't emphasize last week when we got to this point, 600 miles from their destination. <laughs> you know that Proverbs... Uh, 1312 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is a sick moment, not just seasick. This is another kind of sick. We had our sights set. We endured two years plus in prison. Da, 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 da. And now we're going home. We get to go to Rome, the dreamed of, the promised place to share the gospel. crash and sink and I mean and we we're not in Rome <laughs> I want you to just step back from this for a moment and you will quickly relate to why I think chapter 27 was uh, one of the lowest points if not the lowest for me a head scratcher. I was thinking about how you and I can count. Two comes after one and so on. Well, 27 comes after 26. And if 26 was the high point, you have this hope that's going to turn out well now. And you're getting your preach on if you're Paul and you're thinking, I'm going to go to Rome and I have a bigger audience with the emperor, not a governor, the emperor. I get to tell all this gospel stuff to him. And we are people like that. We want chapter 26's, what I'm calling today the best parts. We want those, but we sometimes wonder why. They're head scratchers. We have chapter 27's happen to us. You like that? It's a metaphor. Stay with me, okay? 
I like chapter 26. I don't like chapter 27. I don't like anything about it. Uh, yesterday, the Ducks won big. But a week before, there was a much greater contest. And we invited the Mac 5 over. We're going to have a party at, the, at mom and dad's house. Come on over. And, of course, we knew they'd be dressed in gear and all this stuff. And they did. They showed up. Carrie Ann came in and boldly, by the way, we have three kids, uh, girl, boy, girl, duck, beaver, duck. With me? So she comes in. You know how she's dressed and um, in, in yellow. And she announces her great hope for the game. It was against USC, which is a formidable foe. She announces, I want this to be the biggest blowout in history. I want SC devastated and dismantled. I mean, she goes on into, you know, I want it to be clear the first snap in that game, the first quarter, that it's going to be total domination ducks, right? Trevor comes in a few minutes later, and he says, I say, Trevor, what kind, of, what kind of game are you hoping for today? He goes, she's wanting it to be a complete blowout. Trevor follows with, I want it to be a complete shootout. I want the Ducks to score, then the Trojans, then the Ducks, then the Trojans. He goes, he's like this, and he goes, I want it to go all that way till the last minute of the game. And then the Beavers win. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. No, then he says, okay, I'll give you the Ducks. Carrie Ann was just protesting wildly. No, that's not the game we want to watch here today. Um, turns out it was more of a, of a shootout, not a blowout. Got a little too tight. That's how I read the book of Acts. Um, just when I find myself wanting to curse and condemn chapter 27, and I really do. I just, it's just like, ugh, hate chapter 27. Or anything approaching that. Look at the last four words at the end of 27. The Holy Spirit said, what are they, Steve? Somebody want to read them out loud? Yep. Everyone reached land Which draws my attention to what land? Give me five more minutes and you'll appreciate, I think, the connection here. Who were the people of this land that they swam to shore on? Um, what we read in these ten verses casts a whole new light on Paul's worst part of chapter 27. So watch as we quickly read. Once safely... On shore, he picks up where chapter 27 ends. Once safely on shore, we found ourselves on an island called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness, and they built a fire and welcomed all of us because it was raining cats and dogs. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat of the fire, fastened itself to his hand. I've always pictured him going, huh, not good. 
When the islanders saw the snake, they recoiled, of course, hanging from his hand. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he just escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expecting him to swell up suddenly and fall dead. But after waiting a long time, seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, well, he must be a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. Think of him as the island chief. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him, and after praying, placed his hands on him, and look how verse 8 ends, he healed him. God healed him through Paul. When this had happened, the rest of the island, of course, got word of it, and the rest of those sick on the island came quickly and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, which, by the way, was three months later, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. The islanders were very kind. What a starting point. Unusual kindness was shown. What could be more necessary if you were one of the 276 freezing cold traumatized passengers, but a warm fire and hospitality. Look at these words in Hebrews 13, because you probably remember them just like I do. We're told, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, Hebrews 13, 2 says. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I got the chills when I read that and thought of these island but, but interesting, um, not lost at all, is Paul had stoked this fire, of course, and the viper comes out and bites his hand. And, and they thought twice, he must, he must be trying to escape some due justice. They knew, they saw the shipwreck, they saw this debris and not a single life lost, but they didn't do the count and they didn't know how many were there. They just simply knew these people survived as they swam for the shore. They're thinking, that, that, not, that viper, that's happening because you might have escaped justice once, but not twice. And, um, and then they swing to the opposite extreme, of course. And it um, seems to me the Malt- Maltons or Maltonians, I'm not sure what we're going to call these folks, I, they missed the point twice. Paul was not getting his deserved judgment for something he did wrong and was fleeing justice. Nor was Paul a god. He's a real guy. Read before chapter you know, 9 when he met Jesus. He was a real bad guy. Which leads to a third possible explanation which explains snake bites and near drowning at the sea and the other calamity that comes into my life and yours. 
the 27. It's a chance for the one true God who alone possesses all the power necessary and all the wisdom and all the sovereignty to make sure that this venomous viper and storm at sea doesn't so much as harm Paul. I just want to ask you this simple question because you're as human as I am. It troubles me at my tendency to um, assess people similarly. When When a bad deal happens, when bad things happen, people face this kind of calamity. I've faced it. Made me wonder what people thought. Is there there a problem in his faith? Is there some kind of unconfessed sin? Are you running from something, Steve? Have you felt that way? Not about me. It's it's just, maybe you have. (laughs) Be nice. (laughs) But about people. You see them going down. You see them sinking. You might reach a hand out to help them. You might make a fire to warm them. Are you suspicious? Do you wonder to yourself, you know, um, what did you really do? I've never done this, but this morning early when I was reflecting on these thoughts and preparing for this morning, I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 again. And it's, I've repeated it. Don't, don't read, if you're trying to decide if you want to follow Jesus, and you're afraid chapter 27 will happen, don't read 2 Corinthians 11. Just don't. Because if you think this was the only shipwreck, you think this was the only bummer, you think this was the only bad, 2 Corinthians 11, I've never done this, but I counted how many bad things happened there. And it's impossible to say for sure, because you'll say, I was in constant danger. So does that count as a one or what's constant? How many would say 20, 50? My point is I got up to 30 and quit counting. 30 stuff that makes up the chapter 27 in our Bible. Uh, And um, as far as I could tell in chapter 2 Corinthians 11. I know I'm talking about it so much you're going to read about it later today, right? That's good. It's working. Um, there's not one thing he did wrong listed there. In other words, Paul doesn't go, you know, on top of all these things that happened to me, I was kind of a screw up over here too. But I had some of it too. No. Um. So what I want to leave us with is the fact that God had them had them shipwrecked, had this moment happen where he could have died and everybody thought should have died and nothing happened and it was a game changer and it led to a whole island-wide, what do you even call it, revival. God was touching. He was healing everybody that was sick. Even the father-in-law, no surprise 
that they took care of him for not just those three days, but three months later to pick up on this next time. They began their journey home, and that's who he was the rest of the trip. I want you to close your Bible right now, if you would, and uh, we're going to sing, but I want, I want a final thought to be on your mind fresh. Uh, when you and I do this best day, worst day, the high point, the low point, maybe it's a day, maybe you're talking about a life, or your, 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 just your best and worst, use that language. Chapter 26, chapter 27, if that helps. Use that language. Remember this. Both are remembered. Both are talked about. And both are deeply impactful. Not only to you if you went through them, but to those you're sharing what you went through. And most importantly, both should be shared by you for God's glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for this great reminder. I brought a, a framework that was just of my own making, but I think your Holy Spirit just kind of said, it's good, Steve, because it's my truth contained side by side in two adjacent chapters in my word just like they happen in real life inside one person we have the 26 moments the best that we want to talk about a lot but you also bring us chapter 27s and they don't feel so good but in all of that, Lord, we want to be people that hear your voice that says, if you're in a 27, listen to me. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. I'm there with you right now. You just don't see it or feel it. Maybe you don't even sense it, but I am working in this. Troubles surround me, chaos abounding. My soul will rest in you as the song goes. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way. Oh, my God. You will not delay. My refuge and you're my strength always. So, Lord, change me. I will not fear. Your promise is true because my God will always come through. that's foreign language to you let's talk Jesus is very interested in your life 
answer for why is you're thinking it. Why me? Because he loves you. He loves you. He really loves you. Let's stand. Let's sing.